Well, good morning. Welcome to Bridgewater. Merry Christmas. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just my privilege to watch God do awesome things at Bridgewater Church week in and week out. Really, really thankful to be with you in person this week. Um, what, a, what an interruption last week, uh, we thought, with the power outage, but we're glad to be back together and looking forward to this weekend's services as well. Welcome to week two of our Christmas series entitled Emmanuel, God with us. We're looking at how God uh, came to us in an intimate and a personal way. And I don't know how that strikes you, because maybe for you, God is a doctrine that you've learned, or God is a theology that, uh, that you believe to be true. But I wonder how many of us today watching online and here in the room, for you, God is a very real presence in your life, a person with, you, with whom you have a relationship. Um, that's what really we want to talk about. And this weekend, we have 25 services across all of our Bridgewater campuses, and we have five here at this location. And so Ryan already mentioned the service times. We've got invites back on the table out on the Welcome Center. We would love for you not only to take one and remember to come, but take several and invite others to come with you as well. Uh, it really feels intimidating, but honestly, it's just not that bad. It's just not that bad to make the ask. So we would encourage you to do that. So don't come alone. Bring a family member, friend, coworker, somebody, maybe the person next to you in the checkout line at the grocery store this weekend. That would be a great thing to do. Have you ever been given a gift uh, that felt like a burden but ended up being a huge blessing? You know, it's these gifts that your parents give to you when you're, you know, you're getting a little bit older. Like my dad gave me some tools one Christmas, just a bunch of tools, and I thought, mmm, neat, because I couldn't wear tools and have the girls, you know, come flocking. I couldn't, I couldn't like race tools around the, the, the neighborhood, but I use the tools now all the time. So they are, it ended up being a blessing, though at the time they felt like a burden. Uh, and then sometimes there are gifts that feel like blessings. They're really exciting, but they end up being burdens. They're not all they're cracked up to be they end up making life more difficult. Let me give you a few of these, these gifts that feel like blessings that are more like burdens. Here's a, a tough statistic for you. Roughly 16% of retired NFL football players end up bankrupt within the first 12 years. There are, yeah, shocking, there are documentaries that you can find online on uh, television or streaming services that document the bankruptcy of very, very wealthy NFL players. And this is not limited to the NFL. It's true of every uh, professional uh, sport out there. But then there's also lottery winners. Who doesn't want that windfall, right? Uh, look at this one. About 70% of people, 70% now, of people who win a lottery or, re or receive a large windfall go bankrupt within a few years. So as exciting as all that sounds, and we would think, boy, if I could just get a hold of something like that, how amazing it would be, most of us are going to ruin ourselves with it. We're just not going to handle it well. Kristen and I at one point, not here, but we lived in a location where our neighbors received a very large inheritance, a home and all kinds of money. And it was really amazing to watch the things that they began to do and to experience and to purchase the upgrades it just went on and on and on and the lavish parties um it was crazy and within two years time within two years time we're talking millions of dollars uh, money gone house up for sale vehicles gone they moved into a tiny house and their family which was fairly broken to begin with ended up utterly destroyed it was very 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 sad. Now, I've never come into a lot of money, so I really can't say much there, 
Um, but there are other curses out there. In fact, many of you in this room share, I think, my same curse. We're just cursed with good looks. <laughs> I mean, right? People just follow us around taking pictures. We got phone calls saying, can you be on my magazine cover? We're like, no, no. Just stop, stop. Yeah, you know that's not true. But sometimes we are given gifts, as I said, that feel like burdens but end up being amazing blessings. I remember at nine years old, and I've talked to you, many of you, about this before. I got a paper out, and uh, that was like early mornings as a nine-year-old kid waking up at 5 a.m. delivering hundreds of newspapers every single day. And the Sunday ones were the worst, and this time of year, even worse, because they're filled with all the ads. And so it took multiple trips but it ended up being a blessing because it taught me how to manage money. It taught me time management. It taught me uh, money management. It taught me the value of an early morning. That was incredible. I've also spent time talking with many of you about my time at UPS. I went to Bible college with students who would receive checks in the mail, paying their bill, and just, oh, praise God. And I received a job uh, at UPS, and that did pay my bill because Kristen and I, we graduated college and I graduated seminary debt-free because of that job. An incredible, difficult five years of my life uh, that I remember very little of uh, because of all the things that I was doing uh, that ended up being an enormous blessing. I spent a lot of time doing wilderness trips on the Appalachian Trail and in Canada and I will tell you that some of the best moments and best days are on the worst weather uh, times we have up there. It's cold, windy, rainy, miserable. Other guys in our group are saying, why did you bring me up here? But it's on those days that we laugh the hardest. We have the most, the dearest memories that just ends up you know, lodging themselves in our minds because of what we were able to share through a difficult experience that at the time felt like a burden. And I honestly would have friends and family who would tell you that, the, that an illness in their family by one of the people that they love the most would be maybe one of God's greatest blessings on them. I've got family very close to me who encountered an immense difficulty and would say that that was the single most important and wonderful thing God ever did to that family because of, of what it did to the family in, in drawing them together and drawing them closer to God these difficulties have a way of being blessings. And this is not true of us, but it's also true of people in the Bible as well. Think of the Apostle Paul for a minute. He talks in, uh, what is it? It's uh, 2 Corinthians 12 about um, this thorn in his flesh. And there's a lot of debate about what it is. It doesn't matter what it is. He just didn't like it. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't nice. And he wanted it gone. But here's what he says about it. He says, therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited. Okay, so there, there's the win. For Paul, there's the win. Whatever he's about to say is worth it so that he does not become conceited and puffed up with pride. What does he say? I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And I don't mean like three asks. The language here is he's going to God. It's an event. He is just begging God to remove this thing from him. And here's what happens. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul's conclusion here is, therefore, I will boast all the more uh, gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, 
then I am strong. There's a perspective for you. Because it seems that what Paul would call a blessing, I would call a burden. So where's the disconnect here? Where's the disconnect? I think that to be able to call what looks like a burden a blessing is truly a matter of perspective. And I think perspective is what's in order this morning for you and for me. It's what I've been challenged with all week. And if all this sounds illogical or counterintuitive, it's because we don't have God's perspective on what blessings actually are. The word blessing or blessed is a junk drawer word today. And it's a shame. We use it for all kinds of things. Cards with blessings on them. Signs with blessings on them. Blessing others with gifts and blessing the neighborhood with your amazing light display. Finally got that lighted reindeer out there. It means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Sometimes it means you're rich in something. Oh, we're so blessed with money. We're so blessed with our home. We're so blessed with vehicles. I'm so blessed with my job. We use it all the time. In fact, you ask some followers of Christ how they're doing, and the really spiritual ones would just tell you they're blessed. I'm just blessed. Oh, man. But sometimes it means things are going really well for you. And like you're feeling lucky. I've heard people say that they got blessed with a, a really close parking space on Black Friday shopping. <laughs> really? The blessing of God is equated to a parking space. And I'm not saying God doesn't do wonderful things like that. But it's a junk drawer word. That's really my point. Of course, we always say it when people sneeze, and we don't even know what that means. And the people say they actually do know what it means, don't really know what it means. So what does blessed mean, and how do you know if you're walking in the blessing of God? How do you know if you're experiencing God's blessing? The phrase blessed and highly favored comes from a statement the angel Gabriel makes to Mary when he tells her that she is going to give birth to Jesus, God's son, the Christ child. Mary, he says, you are blessed and highly favored among women. And when her cousin Elizabeth saw Mary, she used the word blessed three times to describe Mary. So today, I want to help us understand better the concept of blessed and get some perspective, because I think if we do that, we'll better understand the heart of the gospel. We'll understand God's heart for you and for me, especially this Christmas season. So if you're new to the Bible, as all of us once were, um, we have some help for you. We're going to show you the scriptures on the screen next to me and behind me. You can ask the person next to you to help you out. You can open up your device and go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be. So at this point, um, the Christmas story from Matthew and Luke is unfolding. And uh, the angel Gabriel has already appeared to Mary and told her that she's going to give birth to a son, even though she is a virgin. She'd never been with a man. She's still going to get pregnant, and she's going to give birth to this little baby. And we're going to read through Mary's response, a part of Mary's response to this news, which is actually in the form of a song. Not to worry, though, I will not sing it for you. Actually, though, uh, when I was in fifth grade, we, uh, we did a Christmas concert, Christmas play, and, and there was a singer for this song. It was Kristen. It was my wife. And she sang this song in fifth grade, and I'm tell you what, I fell hard in love with her after listening to her sing that song. The problem was I wasn't alone. Every fifth grade boy, we were swooning. It was bad. We knew it, too. I, I had not heard her sing like that, but she was out in the middle of the, of the auditorium, and we're sitting back, and she starts singing, and the boys were looking at each other like, 
And the only issue was then, who was going to get to her first <laughs> after the concert? Ultimately, she came to her senses, and she, yeah, I know, she fell hard in love with me. Um, I don't want to brag, but I kind of do. Um, I have some names of boys I could just tell you, ah. All right, uh, what did I do? Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46, it'll be here and behind me, and I'm going to read it right here. Mary gets the news. She's met Elizabeth now. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Now, we read that, and it sounds wonderful, because it is. But we got to think about the context and situation about when Mary is singing this song and what's going on in her life to see if we think we would call this the blessing that she called it. At this point that the statements were made that Mary just made, her life was basically ruined, trashed, her reputation gone, a pregnant, a, a teenage girl pregnant out of wedlock, Engaged to be married, really, the, the biblical, in this time, betrothal was more formal than an engagement. It required an, an actual divorce to break it. It wasn't just like, give me the ring back. It was, it was more complicated than that. Joseph was going to divorce her. It, so she's considered a loose girl, someone who betrayed her fiancé. By the way, the angel who delivered the news to Mary didn't even bother telling Joseph until a few months later. So Joseph has made up his mind, being a good man, he's going to just take care of this quietly and, and go through with this divorce. So when she's singing this song, the man she loves will have turned her back on her. The stained reputation stayed with her in the eyes of many for years and years. Even at the time that Jesus died, there were rumors circulating about Mary that she got pregnant by a Roman soldier. Because she and Joseph weren't even living together at this point blessed oh she's blessed and here's what you need to think about this young woman had a reputation ruined by god there's so much about the christmas account that causes me to tilt my head my head a little bit like the stable the shepherds now mary getting this news and her life her future just gone why wouldn't the angel have told joseph so if you're looking at this, honestly, you're saying God kind of did this to her. What does that mean? He could have done it another way. He's all-powerful, right? I think it speaks to the nature of what God would define as a blessing. Mary was also very poor. There's evidence in the writings of Matthew and Luke here that she's among the poorest of the poor. When they're going to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices, there's provision in the Old Testament law. The Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, 
in God dealing with his people that tells us that you're to offer a, a lamb. Sometimes they offered bulls, but if you were poor, you could substitute that lamb offering with a couple turtle doves. That's what the poorest of the poor would do. And Joseph and Mary, they're going to offer their sacrifices and they're bringing those turtle doves. So she's poor. An angel shows up and says, you're going to have a kid. By the way, he's going to be God. Okay, so just let that sink in your mind. Uh, you'll figure the rest out. Oh, by the way, I'm not telling anyone else about this, not even Joseph. Um, not for a while anyway. So, hey, have fun. You're blessed and highly favored. Um, okay, Mary, what's your story? God appeared to you. Now you're pregnant, but it wasn't, right? You weren't messing around. Okay, okay. Be honest. If you're looking at Mary and at this situation, are you going to call her blessed? We know people who have a reputation like this today. Are they blessed? Are they, when someone loses their job, are they blessed? When someone is terminally ill, are they blessed? When catastrophe happens, blessed? I don't, that's not the word we use. It isn't. So what's wrong with us? Mary did not receive a monetary inheritance. She hasn't been given a close parking space at the Mall of Life. She didn't even get a publisher's clearinghouse check. Not a nice raise, but at the core of her being, she is carrying God. This is personal to her. Look at how, look at the, the first person singular words she uses here in this next verse. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. They will call me blessed. He has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She, she's the one experiencing all this loss and misunderstanding, and she's the one calling herself blessed and highly favored. Why is she doing that? Her circumstances have only gone downhill. It's because she's not rejoicing in what God has given to her. She's rejoicing in God. Just in God. God himself and who he is becoming within her. At this point, Jesus is her only exaltation. The baby in her womb, her only fullness, her only sustenance, her only salvation. It's, it's a moment where this young woman has great clarity where I often get really turned around and confused. How does she do this? Where does she get that perspective? How does she get to that place? I think Mary knew and it helped her perspective what you and I need to be confronted with this morning, first of all, and that's this. God's greatest blessings are not what he will do for me, but who he is in me. I'm gonna say that again. God's greatest blessings are not what he will do for me, but who he is in me. Now, really, God is in Mary, in this Christ child, in this baby. He's actually in her, but we know from the rest of Scripture that when we become followers of Jesus, the four people that we celebrated through carnations this morning, God has come to live in them. The greatest blessings of God or that God is in me. What has God done for her? Nothing external, but the greatest blessing, the blessing that makes all other blessings insignificant in comparison is God in her. And she has recognized that God has done something amazing. And the problem with teachings like 
the prosperity gospel, is that they equate God's blessing to what he does for me. This idea that I'm supposed to be happy, I'm supposed to have plenty, I'm supposed to be wealthy, is totally counter to what God is doing in Mary's life right here. It's totally counter to the Christmas story that we get from the word of God. God in prosperity gospel is like the pinata. Faith is our whacking stick. Earthly prosperity, power, prominence, privilege, and comfort, that's the candy. And Mary's song shows us that God is the candy inside the pinata. And he is the great reward. This child that Mary was carrying was a fulfillment of a long-awaited promise. Verse 54 and 55, Mary knew the word of God. She quoted it in this song. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. She was aware of this promise that God had made long ago, that in her now she's involved in God fulfilling the promise that he made to Abraham, that through his people Israel, all of the world would be blessed. And she now is going to deliver this blessing to the world. She gets it. She understands it. It's been thousands of years since that promise. And I'm sure that in 400 years since the last word from God that's recorded in the last Old Testament book of Malachi to this day when Gabriel, or Gabriel comes and breaks the news to Mary, I'm sure after 400 years, people thought God's done. That's it. I I would love to think that I'd be one of those people with great hope. Like Simeon and Anna. You can read about them later. Luke chapter 1 also. Who are just waiting, waiting, waiting. But when God, in my perspective, doesn't move for me within a couple weeks, I wonder where he's gone. What he's done. But for Mary, it was as good as done. Amazing. And in the same way, God is working in and through you, in and through your life, sometimes invisibly, sometimes silently, and sometimes painfully to do for you what he did for Mary, and that is to form Jesus Christ in you. That's what he's doing. Through the experiences in our lives that we would not call blessings. But you and I, at least I do, when I undergo difficulty, I doubt. I do. I doubt, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, have I done something wrong? God, I need you to show up. God, I, I'm suffering. I, I need you to show up. And God's like, I did. <laughs> in the suffering. I'm there. I'm doing something in you that could otherwise not be accomplished unless you suffer. So we need to believe here that trials... Let's go to the next slide here. Trials are not an interruption to God's plan, but part of it. They are very much a part of God's agenda for you and for me. In our small group, at times, we'll sit down and, and just talk about what's going on, and, and there's always things going on. And we ask for prayer because these situations are difficult. We want to be removed. We want them to be removed from us. We all do. It's natural to want that. But God does something in difficulty in our lives that otherwise could not be accomplished. That's exactly what Mary is showing us. So let me go back to one of the questions I posed at the beginning. Why did God do it this way when he didn't have to? 
Why did God utterly disrupt Mary's life when he didn't have to? It wasn't this, just that God um, took a bad situation and worked in it. God created a bad situation for Mary. He did this to her. What is he up to? And how could she rejoice? I think he was allowing Mary in part to feel what the cross would be like for the child she was carrying. That she, even before Jesus, was suffering the sufferings that Jesus would endure. I think she was modeling what it would look like to live a life like Jesus. To live a life where Jesus is formed in you means we're going to suffer. I think Mary, as the mother of Jesus, is experiencing this before Jesus experienced it in his earthly life. And sharing in the sufferings of Christ is actually a blessing according to the writers of Scripture. Peter says this, But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are, there's our word, blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Being blessed and highly favored does not mean living a life without suffering and getting those parking spaces. Blessed and highly favored often is attached to pain, suffering, and not only suffering, but being misunderstood and suffering at the hands of other people. It means having a life in which God is committed to conforming you more to the image of Jesus. Blessings, then, are measured more by the presence of God in your life. Not the huge check or awesome house. In fact, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit have nothing, so God gives them his riches. Blessed are those who mourn because of their guiltiness. Those are the ones who get forgiveness. Blessed are those who know they are weak. They're the ones who get God's strength. And you say, okay, biblical examples, great. What about today? Is anyone doing this today? A woman by the name of Laura Story wrote a song called Blessings, I think in an attempt to express and to understand this very truth. Just listen to these lyrics, and I'm going to show them to you. We pray for blessings, we pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray for your mighty hand to ease our suffering. And all the while, you hear each spoken need, yet love us way too much to give us lesser things. Because what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if the trials of this life are your mercies? in disguise. Mercy? Yeah, Paul said to keep me from becoming conceited. In order that Christ might be formed in me, I have this thorn in my flesh. We pray for wisdom. Your voice to hear. We cry in anger when we cannot feel you near. We doubt your goodness. We doubt your love. As if every promise in your word is not enough. All the while you hear each desperate plea and long that we'd have faith to believe. When friends betray us, when darkness seems to win, we know that pain reminds this heart this is not our home. So what if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world can't satisfy? What if the trials of this life, the rain, the storms, the hardest nights are your mercies in disguise? 
And what you should notice, even then about Mary's song, is how little is written about her. She writes about God and his character, and he's done great things. He's fulfilled his promise. Mighty one, holy is his name. He's got mercy. He's performed mighty deeds. He's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry. In fact, going back to Mary's song, some believe that Mary was sinless and sort of hold Mary up in, in a position to be worshipped, but she says, God, my Savior. Why does a sinless person need a Savior? Mary recognized her own brokenness and sinfulness before God and knew that she needed his forgiveness, his strength, his mercy. Mary was not amazing. Jesus was amazing, and her soul magnified him. For anyone to idolize Mary is to miss the point of her song. But there's something else Mary shows us about perspective on blessings. It's what she says next in verse 46, and we're going to switch to the English Standard Version, the translation of the Bible, because it uses a word that I think helps us. This word magnifies. Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Magnifies the Lord, rejoices in God, my Savior. Here's what she's telling us, and here's another piece on our perspective. Whatever you magnify, you rejoice in. Whatever you make large in your life, whatever becomes significant to you in your life, whatever becomes most significant to you is what you ultimately rejoice in. It's what your joy is tethered to. Mary is not stating a universal truth. She's just demonstrating one. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Mary's a demonstration of whatever I allow to be so important in my life, I end up tying my joy to. It's how you and I can blunder our way through the Christmas season with anything but joy. Because we've magnified an experience. We've magnified peace with our family, peace with our spouse, peace with our children, the gifts, the the wonderful parties and get-togethers, and they're not happening. It doesn't feel, as Jess talked about, so peaceful. But Mary's joy was tied to a person, an unchanging person. It was tied to God. I wonder what has to be true of your life in order for you to have joy. When you look into your future, what's got to be there in order for you to experience a measure of joy? What situation, what person has got to be there? I'll tell you, if that situation or person is the one that your joy is tied to, your joy is on a slippery slope. It's on shaky ground because people and situations will let us down, even the best of them. Joy should function something like a smoke alarm in your life. If you're lacking joy, it's a sign, a little warning that your joy is tied to something less than Jesus Christ. Something less than God's presence with you. In the middle of, from what, the out, from what on the outside looks like an awful situation, Mary chose to magnify God and find joy in him, not in her circumstances. So I want to ask you, what do you rejoice in? It's been a good day because of what? 
I'm doing great. Why? You and I really do have to wrestle this Christmas season with what our joy is tied to. And if we're not feeling it, if we're not experiencing it, chances are we either are not tying it to God our Savior or we have a, just a clear misunderstanding of who he is and what he's meant to provide for us. Listen to what the Old Testament prophet says about this, and here's, not, here's, a, here's a name you don't hear about much these days. Habakkuk. Just kind of fun to say. Chapter 3, verse 17. Here are his words. A prophet speaking to the people from the Lord. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Can you sense his, his determination, his gut-level determination? Though everything else is falling away, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will do it. I don't care if it takes tears. I don't care if it takes time. I will find my joy in the Lord. We don't live in his world my world doesn't fall apart if the grapes are not on the vine. I'll just buy something else. Okay, if, it's, if strawberries are out of season, okay. I'll find something else. Not so with him. But you just get this. You can sense his desire to rejoice in the Lord. Like Habakkuk. Like Mary in her song as well. The choice is before you this morning. And I'm wondering, how's your perspective? How is your perspective this morning? Where is it? I want to urge you to consider where it is because your perspective and your joy actually reveals what you believe to be true about what God has done for us at Christmas time. Mary and the other examples we've looked at reveal to us that Emmanuel, that God with us in and through our circumstances, that alone is enough of a blessing to truly rejoice in. And I wonder, what's keeping you from joy this Christmas season? What person is blocking your way to joy? What experience or situation is blocking your way to joy? If that's possible, if that's the case for you this morning, your joy is not tied to God himself. To Emmanuel, God with us. Mary is an example for us this morning, urging us to consider the value of God with us, of Emmanuel. That's why Jesus coming to earth as a baby was such good news. The first Noel, the first good news, the first gospel was that God had come not just to deliver his people from their sins, but to be with them forever. Let's pray. God, we, um, well, I don't know about we, I know I, I certainly need your help. So quickly, in a moment, my joy can be tied to my experience. My joy can be tied to a person because when things don't go well, I feel like the joy is gone. And I'm asking that you would help me. Would you help everyone listening to begin to appreciate maybe for the very first time 
the beauty and the wonder and the blessing of Emmanuel, God with us. You are not some idea. You are not some concept or some force. You are a person who loves us and self-sacrificially gave your only son to deliver us from our sin and to live with us forever. I pray that we would come to grips with that this morning and that for us this Christmas season and beyond would make all the difference for our joy and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.